Blog Talk Radio. We will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, number to call, 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pgant. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at go for again G O F O R I T G A N T. Great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by former Tennessee Titan and former Houston Oiler offensive tackle Brad Hopkins. And Brad uh, was a part of that 1993 Oilers team, which was chronicled on Football Life uh, on the NFL Network this past week. So we're going to talk to Brad about the 1993 Oilers, also get his take on the whole situation with RG3 in Washington, get his thoughts on that whole deal and what he believes may happen and should have happened moving forward. Also, we're going to be joined by Blash from the past, actor and one of the stars of Different Strokes, Shaver Ross. And uh, Shaver, if you remember, played the role of Dudley, who was Gary Coleman, who was Arnold, which is Arnold's, one of Arnold's best friends on different strokes. So we're going to talk to him. He also was on Family Matters as well, played the role of Weasel. So we're going to talk to Shaver, see what he's up to, see what's going on in his life, see how things are going with Shaver Ross. I want to start now, though, in the National Football League. I want to start in the National Football League, and I want to start with the story of RG3. And... If if you've been under a rock hiding somewhere, as we all know, RG3, Mike Shanahan made the move to sit RG3 for the final three games, sitting down for the rest of the season. Um, And let's be honest, when it comes to RG3, he was not very productive throughout the course of this season. He just didn't look like himself. He didn't look healthy. He, he, He didn't have... Like, I, I watched him. I remember the first game against the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm watching him. And, and I'm saying to myself, what is this guy doing on the field? I mean, he, he just did not look right whatsoever. He didn't have a pocket presence. He didn't have the mobility. He didn't have the accuracy that was a hallmark of what he was. I mean, I, that, who RG3 was, I mean, he, he was explosive. He made plays with his legs, made plays with his arms, got out the pocket, was in the pocket, did work. I mean, 20 touchdowns to only five interceptions. 20 touchdowns to only five interceptions. That's it for RG3 last year. So he had a special season in 2012, his rookie season. But, again, we all know what's happened with the injury. And then after the injury – the rest has been downhill. And here's the thing. 
you know, I, I look at uh, I look at this whole situation, and I say to myself, the reality is RG3 should have never started the season. He, he should have never started the season. It was under it was my belief that RG3 should have been sat down. He shouldn't start the season. After what I saw against the Philadelphia Eagles in week one, you realize the guy wasn't even remotely ready to be out there on that football field. But I think the outside pressure, the documentaries, the commercials, all those things, the, 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 the brand RG3, if you will, got RG3 on the field in week one. He wasn't ready. He was not ready. And I said at the beginning of this season that RG3, Robert Griffin III, would take a step back in 2013. I said it. Because it's, you can't expect guys to come back eight months from, from a knee reconstruction. A guy who's only started 15 games in the National Football League, you can't expect him to come back and be effective. You can't. Not right away. You can't. And it didn't happen for RG3. It did not happen for RG3. He had no business being, on out, being out on that football field in week one against the Philadelphia Eagles. He had no business being out there. He wasn't ready. He wasn't ready. He wasn't trusting that knee. That knee wasn't 100%. You saw it. He was very tentative. He had no business being out there week one. He should have never been out there week one. But, as, again, all the outside pressures. And, and I got the sense back in August that, that Mike Shanahan was a little leery about putting RG3 out there. I got the sense he was a little leery about it. That's not a move that he necessarily wanted to make. He didn't necessarily want RG3 out there. But I think the outside pressures, let's be honest, this was RG3's team. He was the face of the franchise, and if the face of the franchise says he's ready, then I guess he's ready. But was he really ready? No, he wasn't ready. And in terms of shutting him down these final three games, to me, it's a great move. From this standpoint, let's be honest, the Washington Redskins are done. They're out of contention. RG3 is not 100%, and he is taking a lot of hits. Some brought on by himself and holding the football too long. Some brought on by the offensive line. But at the end of the day, he's taking a lot of hits. So as far as I'm concerned, at this point in the season, you're 3-10. and 10. Your quarterback, not 100%. Your, your quarterback, less than a year from an ACL injury. Your quarterback, at the end of the day, not playing good football. So here's what you got to do, and I, and, I, and I applaud Mike Shanahan for the move. Whether the move is spiteful, whether it's coming from a bad place, I think it's a good move. I think it's a good move from this standpoint. Kirk Cousins now comes in. Let's say Kirk Cousins, he's going to start the final three games. See, Kirk Cousins has a very good three-game run. At that point... Kirk Cousins now, his trade value goes up. His trade value goes up, and now you have an opportunity to replenish and get some draft picks because you sent a lot to the St. Louis Rams in order to get your hands on RG3. So maybe Kirk Cousins goes out, and I think Kirk Cousins, by the way, is going to play very, some very good football. And we had Kirk Cousins on the show this past summer, and when I spoke to Kirk Cousins, I, I felt and sensed the confidence from this guy. I felt and sensed that this guy felt like he could be a starter and a, a big-time starter in the National Football League. 
I, I felt like this guy felt like he could ball out and do his thing. So I expect big things for Kirk Cousins these final three weeks of the season. And I think a part of the reason that RG3 did rush back was because of Kirk Cousins. I, I, I just think Kirk Cousins being there, and some people disagree with that notion, but I think Kirk Cousins being there forced RG3 to get back sooner than he needed to. I think that, I think the pressures of the brand RG3 forced him to come back sooner than he needed to. I think all those things contributed to that. And here's what I also want to say. Here's what you've got to look at also. When it comes to a guy like, you're looking at it, this is an ACL injury. This is a major knee injury. It's a major knee injury. So you look at Adrian Peterson now, and he comes back, and you know comes back from the ACL, and he balls out, and he gets 2,000 yards. Now that's changing the game for anybody with an ACL injury because Adrian Peterson did it, AP did it, AP came back, and was a better football player, 2,000 yards rushing, and this close to breaking Eric Dickerson's rushing record, single-season rushing record. This close, real close. And this is coming off a major knee injury, an ACL. So now, you know, usually with an ACL, everybody says, that second year is where you're at your best, is, is where you feel your best and where you're at 100%. It's that second year. RG3, eight months removed from a knee, total, a, a knee reconstruction. Eight months removed. Was on the field in September, taking, taking, no, having, taking no snaps in the preseason, on the field in September against the Philadelphia Eagles, and was awful. Rusty. G3 is what he was. He was rusty G3. He's a rusty quarterback, as he should be. But I believe that Kirk Cousins should have been the starter from the get-go. Kirk Cousins should have been the starter from the get-go. RG3 was not healthy. As far as I'm concerned, this is, this, everybody's saying this is RG3's team. And I believe this is going to be RG3's team moving forward. I think this is going to be his team moving forward. The Redskins invested a lot to get this guy. He is the face of the franchise. He is an African-American quarterback in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of African-Americans in Washington, D.C. It's not called Chocolate City for, for no reason. So he is the face of the franchise, an African-American quarterback, so, and obviously, we saw what he could do. He can ball, but he's not 100%. He's not ready, was not ready to be out there, should not have been out there. It's almost like he should have took another month off, first month of the season. He should have been off. He shouldn't have came back. I mean, in January will be the anniversary of his, his ACL tear. January. So this guy was back less than a year, eight months, eight months, and he's back and ready to go. But he really wasn't ready to go. And I think also, you know, a lot of people believe that this was about humbling RG3. And maybe he needed this. This could be the blessing in disguise for RG3. Maybe he needed his wings clipped a little bit to recognize who's in charge, to, to, to recognize certain things. RG3 now, moving forward, 
he has to figure out in terms of, well, the bottom line, he has to get healthy. And, and I think once he gets healthy, once he gets that explosion back, once he gets that confidence back, truly back in that knee and truly back into his abilities, I think RG3 is going to be a franchise-caliber quarterback. I believe he's a franchise-caliber quarterback. I mean, 20 touchdowns, five interceptions, a team that was left for dead, three and six last season. They go on a seven-game win streak. They get to the playoffs. If RG3 is able to stay upright, they beat the Seattle Seahawks in that playoff game. So they, they were – he was big time. He balled out last season. He played big-time football for the Washington Redskins, and there's no denying that. There is no denying that, what he did and his abilities and, and, and how he played. I'm an RG3 guy, but I, 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 I told you coming into this season, he would take a step back, and he took a step back. The Redskins as a football team took a step back. Now, the whole situation with Mike Shanahan, whether you trust him or not, Mike Shanahan said at the press conference, 28-minute press conference, he said, you know what, this time I'm telling the truth. I lied to you guys a lot, but this time I'm telling the truth. It's hard to believe a guy when he says, this time I'm telling the truth. <laughs> it really is. But Mike Shanahan now and his future, obviously, if this situation is going to work with RG3 being in Washington and him having a level of success, I think he has to separate from this coach. This can't go forward. RG3, Mike Shanahan, this pairing cannot go forward. It can't. So the Redskins have a decision to make, and I think the decision is quite obvious. Mike Shanahan is done at the end of the season. I can't see him coming back. And I know Kyle Shanahan came out and said, you know what, he disagreed with this move and said that you know he felt like RG3 should have stayed on the field. I don't believe that either. I don't believe that whatsoever, but I understand why he said it. Because now it seems like, well, Kyle Shanahan does have a mind of his own. Well, Kyle Shanahan is not tied at the hip to Mike Shanahan. He's able to, to, to have his own opinions, have his own ideas, have his own beliefs. Kyle Shanahan disagrees with this, but he accepts it. At least that's what he tells you. I don't believe it. But I think, again, this is a big-time move. And a lot of people say this is Mike Shanahan also flexing a little muscle and, and just a parting shot, if you will, as he walks out, out the door. I don't believe that's the case. Obviously, Dan Snyder, the owner, is not going to let um, his franchise guy, Mike uh, RG3, he's not going to let. If he feels like the situation is not a good situation for RG3, I don't think he's going to just let it go. I don't think he would. So, obviously, he's on board with this. Obviously, he's okay with this. And obviously, he believes this is the best course of action, as I do believe. I do believe it's the best course of action. A, RG3, maybe he needs those wings clipped. You clip those wings. B, Kirk Cousins comes in. Now you have a guy who can, you, you can increase his trade value. You're a team now who needs assets. You're a team now in the past two seasons who lost $36 million in cap space. So you need assets. You're a team now that traded a lot to get RG3. You need assets. So this is an opportunity to showcase Kirk Cousins to see what Kirk Cousins truly and really can do. And in the process, seeing what he really and truly can do, you have an opportunity now to get assets for Kirk Cousins. 
And, and thirdly, RG3 gets an opportunity now to get healthy, get that mind right, and, and start focusing and, and, and turning his energies to the 2014 NFL season. That's what he can do. That's what he should do. That's what he should do. It's just an interesting time in Washington. It's a lot of drama in Redskin Lane. A lot of drama. A lot of drama. But again, whether hate or love, Mike Shanahan, I think this was the right move. Whether Mike Shanahan has some ulterior motives, I think this is the right move. I think this is the right move. And you look at the whole situation with Mike Shanahan, and, you know, over the years, some of his relationships with quarterbacks, and especially in Washington, I mean, Donovan McNabb. I mean, you, you look at the situation against Detroit Lions and McNabb's first and only season with the Washington Redskins, where, you know, Donovan McNabb was taken out for the two-minute drill. I mean, that's the ultimate slap in the face to a proud veteran like Donovan McNabb. You're getting taken out for the two-minute drill with your team down and your, t- and your team having an opportunity to win a ball game. And after the game, Shanahan questioned his fitness, basically called him fat. He used the word, he questioned his fitness. That's, those are the words. I'm paraphrasing, but he, those are around the words he used. He essentially called him fat, said he didn't have a handle or Rex Grossman had a better handle of the offense. He essentially called him lazy and stupid, basically, in so many words. They question his work habits in D.C. I've never heard about Donovan McNabb and work habits. I remember I had Luther Broughton on the show, former teammate of Donovan McNabb. Luther was a tight end. Luther said he'd never seen anybody work as hard as Donovan McNabb. You almost had to get the guy and stop the guy from working so daggone hard. Those are the words of Luther Broughton, tight end, who played with Donovan McNabb. So now all of a sudden he goes to Washington and Donovan McNabb becomes lazy, dumb, and stupid. He becomes lazy, dumb, and stupid. Reports were McNabb didn't get along with the Shanahan's, more specifically Kyle Shanahan. But, you know, Mike Shanahan's going to go with his boy. He's going to go with his son, as he should. And that's one of the reasons, and that's one of the issues, and that's one of the problems when you bring your son on as the offense coordinator. That is one of the issues when you have your son on your staff. Where does RG3 go to? Who does he go to if he has an issue with the coach? Goes to his son? Who does RG3 go to if he has an issue with the offensive coordinator? He goes to his daddy, Mike Shanahan? So that's an issue. That's an issue. So I think that whole dynamic needs to be stripped away, taken away, and thrown away. But I look at RG3, and it should be interesting. What happens moving forward with the brand, RG3? Does he, is he, did he need this? Is this almost a blessing in disguise? Is this almost a blessing 
in disguise for RG3. What happens in the future for RG3? Will he recover from this injury? Will he be the same guy we saw in 2012, a guy that many thought could have been the face of the NFL? Will he be that guy one more again? That question will be answered in the upcoming years. But I know one thing. Mike Shanahan won't be there in 2014. Mike Shanahan will not be there. Kyle Shanahan won't be there. That whole Redskins staff will not be there. They need to make a move. If they believe that this quarterback is their franchise guy, which I think they do and which I believe he is, obviously the working relationship between RG3 and Mike Shanahan can't be salvaged. Therefore, that relationship needs to be severed. And obviously, you side with the player in this particular situation. Mike Shanahan is a guy now. You wonder if he gets another opportunity after this. You wonder what will happen with Kyle Shanahan. You wonder. And, you know, even with the, and going back to the McNabb situation, I'm not saying Donovan McNabb was good in that season. I'm not saying Donovan McNabb was, was the best quarterback ever. He wasn't at that point in his career. But the way he was treated, the way he was disrespected by the Shanahan's, was not right. He was absolutely disrespected. A guy with his pedigree, a, a, a guy who was accomplished what he accomplished, deserved better. He deserved a little more respect. He did. He deserved a little more respect. Didn't get it, obviously. He deserved just a little more respect. Save McNabb, everybody. Save McNabb, everybody. I tr- he is the guy. I tried to save him. <laughs> I tried to save him. I tried. I tried. But he deserved better. We'll see what happens moving forward with this whole situation with RG3. Should be very, very interesting how this whole situation unfolds. I want to go to last night's football game now. Denver Broncos, San Diego Chargers, and what we saw last night. I mean, that was a game now where, you know, obviously the questions about Peyton Manning, as far as I'm concerned, it's not necessarily what happens in a regular season. We know what he is in terms of being a regular season quarterback. We know what he has done in terms of being a regular season quarterback. We all know what he has done in terms of being a quarterback in the National Football League in general. We know what he's done. We know what he has accomplished. We know that. Super Bowl rings. We know that. All types of passing uh, records. We know that. But what we don't know and what we question when it comes to Peyton Manning is his ability to play in cold weather, also his ability to succeed in the playoffs. This guy, Peyton Manning, is a totally different animal in the playoffs. and He's not the same animal. He's not a good animal either in the playoffs. He's a bad animal in the playoffs. He's a totally different animal in the playoffs. This is a guy, sub-500, playoff record. Sub-500 playoff record. Sub-500. And he wasn't good. Last year, 
against the Baltimore Ravens in that playoff game. Wasn't good. Did have 290 yards, did have three touchdowns, but he also has two interceptions. And you look at his playoff record, 9-11 and 11 in the playoffs. 9-11 and 11 in the playoffs. 9-11. and 11. Sub-500. Sub-500 in the playoffs. He's a sub-500 quarterback in the playoffs. And now, you know, we, like I said, we don't care. When it comes to Peyton Manning, we don't care what he does in the regular season. It's really not all that important. It's a given that Peyton Manning is going to put up big-time numbers. It's a given that Peyton Manning is going to ball out of control. It's a given that Peyton Manning is going to be big time. Those things are a given when it comes to Peyton Manning. I mean, this guy's having a tremendous season, 4,800 yards, still has two more games to play, 47 touchdowns, still has two more games to play, 10 interceptions. I mean, this guy is putting up big time numbers and is having a tremendous season. He had a tremendous season a year ago in a game where, and, you know, this guy is 168 and 73 in the regular season. Excuse me, 165 and 73 in the regular season. 165 and 73 in the regular season. Postseason now, totally different animal. Totally different animal in the postseason. Totally different animal in the postseason. 9 and 11. 9 and 11 in the postseason. So this guy's a totally different animal. He's not the same guy that he was, that he is, I should say, in the, in the, in the, in the regular season. He struggles. He struggles. He was decent last night. He didn't have Wes Welker, and that's a big guy. And you wonder what Wes Welker is going to be moving forward. A couple of concussions in a month. That's not good. That's not good at all. So you wonder what Welker is going to be. I think you have to question the Broncos at this point. Defensively, it's not great. It's not a great team on the defensive side of football. You can do some things against that defense. 28th against the pass. You can do some things against that defense. You can move the football against that defense. Now, instead of everything going through Denver, there's a possibility that now it could, the New England Patriots now control their own destiny in terms of getting the top spot in the AFC. So now, instead of it going through Denver, there's a possibility that it could go through New England. But you look at the New England Patriots now. You look at a team without Rob Gronkowski, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But you look at this team without Rob Gronkowski. Let's be honest about Tom Brady. Here's the beauty of Tom Brady. Here's what makes Tom Brady special. 
It doesn't matter sometimes who is on the receiving end of his balls. I mean, he won titles with David Patton, Troy Brown, Jermaine Wiggins. He, he won titles with those guys. I mean, he made Deion Branch a whole lot of money. Made Deion Branch a whole heck of a lot of money. Deion Branch, when he separated from Tom Brady, wasn't the same guy. Tom Brady made Deion Branch a lot of money. He made him a lot of money. Deion Branch minus Tom Brady is not a good look. Deion Branch with Tom Brady, pretty good look. Pretty good look. I mean, Deion Branch now, obviously, nothing special in terms of his career, but his best years were with New England. 2005, his best year as a pro in terms of yardage, 75 78 balls, 998 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, you know, he, he went to Seattle the following year. Numbers went down. Obviously, the quarterback was going to be a little different, but the numbers went down in 2006. The numbers went down and went down. Had 53 balls, 725 in 2006 with Seattle. 2007 with the Seahawks, 49 balls, 661 yards. Numbers going down. So, and obviously the amount of games he played were a little different, too. But the bottom line is Deion Branch had his most success with the New England Patriots, with Tom Brady at the helm, with Tom Brady as his quarterback. And Tom Brady has had success with not the best of talent. He has that ability to make guys around him better. But now the New England Patriots, an opportunity now to they, – they control it. They beat Denver, so now they control it. And they have three games left at Miami, at Baltimore, and home to Buffalo. Not a difficult – I mean, it's not an easy schedule by no means. I mean, at Miami, playing decent football at Baltimore, and both of those football teams are fighting for their playoff lives, so it's going to be two tough football games. But Tom Brady is at the helm. And, and you know, you look at New England, they got lucky last week. Questionable pass interference call – Scored a touch. They were down, what, 12 points uh, with about two minutes and 30 seconds left. Moved down the field, scored a touchdown, got the onside kick, moved down again. Again, a questionable pass interference call, but ultimately they were able to score and win that particular football game. The thing about it, the thing about it, New England has had some struggles over the weeks, over the past few weeks, and they've been down a lot. You know, they, they've been down their last four games, and they pulled out three of them. They've been down to some football games. But they were able to pull it out. But at some point, you can't continue to play like that and expect to have victories. You can't. You just can't. I mean, down 24 to nothing to the, uh, the Broncos. They were able to overcome that. They were able to overcome it. Texans had them down. And obviously the Browns had them down last week. But no matter what happened, no matter what happened, they're able to and have been able to come on back. They were able to come on back. But what happens now with Gronk out of the lineup? What happens now with Gronk on the sidelines? I mean, you look at Tom Brady, no Aaron Hernandez. We know his situation. Gronkowski, you know, Wes Welker, gone off to Denver. 
So a lot of key pieces going. But Tom Brady is still Tom Brady. And this team, the Patriots, are still 10-3. and three. This team, the Patriots, now control their own destiny. They control their own destiny. And it should be interesting how this shakes out. But I, do I believe Denver can still go to, to New England, Foxborough to beat the Patriots? Go to, can they go to Foxborough and beat the Patriots? Yes, they can. I, I still think they can go to Foxborough and beat the Patriots. I really do. But it may be a little harder than it should have been. It may be a little harder than it should have been. So it should be very interesting to see what transpires moving forward with the New England Patriots. When we come back, you think the situation is chaotic and crazy in Washington. Well, when we bring in our next guest, he's going to tell you a crazy and chaotic situation. Brad Hawkins will be joining us, and he will discuss the 1993 Houston Oilers, a very, very talented football team and a team that was chronicled on a football life on the NFL Network. When we come back, we're going to talk to Brad about the 1993 Houston Oilers. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't mean see. anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was, uh, trying to throw you, you know what? I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get nah. your, your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that, you know, we know that you can kept married women. We've seen you, you, you have a pedigree. <laughs> We see what you can do. We seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're Come capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Roxy. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> Welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat, and the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't see. mean anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't <laughs> mean anything. I was, trying to throw uh, you, you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's early. That's not Roxy. That's called brother. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job.
Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back talking sports and making it fun like we always do. And as I said before, we want the break. The 1993 Houston Oilers, I mean, we talk about the Washington Redskins and, and, and some of the turmoil that's going on there with RG3 and everything. Well, this 1993 Houston Oilers team had a lot of similar issues. A lot of similar issues, a very talented football team, a football team that many believe and felt should have made it to the Super Bowl that particular season. And, and should, I mean, they had the defense there. I mean, they had the, they had the skill players. I mean, I always look at those Houston Oilers teams, late 80s, early 90s, and they were maddening to watch. I mean, they were frustrating from the standpoint they had so much talent, and, and it seemed like they were always close. I mean, John Elway beat them in the last minute. I mean, the Buffalo Bills beat them after – uh, being down 35-3. to three. So th- it was a team that just seemed snake-bitten for whatever reason. But we're going to talk to a guy now who was a part of the 1993 Oilers. Let's bring him in now, former Titan, the former Houston Oilers offensive tackle, Brad Hopkins. Brad, how are you, man? Paul, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Now, Brad, before we get to the 93 Oilers, I want to start – with Robert Griffin III, as we all know, Mike Shanahan has sat, sat him down for the final three games. My take on this, personally, I felt like RG3 should have never started the season as the quarterback. He was not 100% healthy. He should not have been out there. All in all, your thoughts on this whole situation? You know, I agree with you 100% in that I think it was a little, he got a little ahead of himself in thinking that he could take a whole offseason off and just kind of pick up as where business left off, you know, him having that, that wonderful year that he had as a rookie. Uh, I think that he obviously went through some issues where he thought he had more control in that locker room than he actually did. Right. And when you've got a guy like your Kirk Cousins, it kind of makes that whole situation that, you know, that Shanahan had when he drafted him, you know, we're starting to really look at this whole thing, and maybe this is something that he saw, you know, in the for- in the future happening to this franchise. A guy like RG3, uh, questionable leadership skills, things of that nature. Tremendous talent, mind you, but just as far as being a guy in the locker room, he just might not be that guy. And I think interacting with Kirk Cousins, that might have been the safest out that Mike Shanahan was trying to basically safeguard his team against. Now, you, you look at last season, you talked about the leadership, but last season there, there was talk about how good of a leader he was in terms of, you know, he was a rookie, they, they voted him the captain and everything, and everybody, it was all hunky-dory in terms of RG3. I mean, is, is this move strictly in your mind? To me, it's about production. If RG3 was getting it done and he was not 100%, it wouldn't be a problem. Bottom line, he's not producing. Well, how about this? There's the lack of adversity. I think the true test of a leader comes when, you know, when he has some things not necessarily go his way. There weren't expectations for the Washington Redskins when he was a rookie, okay? So given that, everyone was excited to see, you know, see them turn things around and actually be led by a rookie and have him be so good, kind of like Andrew Luck and kind of like Russell Wilson. They were happy with that. But then when you deal with some adversity, like being hurt and having to rehab and try and come back and resume and pick up where you left off having success, it's not always easy, and we see how RG3 has handled that adversity, and that's the one thing that puts him in question. Now, obviously Mike Shanahan probably will not be back as a Redskins coach. Moving forward now, let, let's just say Kirk Cousins goes out, final three games, balls out, does a big-time job, uh, gets it done. Could there be a possibility? Could, could Kirk Cousins be a starter for the Redskins in 2014? 
Well, you still got RG three to continue with, and you still got the, you know his contract and things of that nature. You're not going to get rid of RG three just by him having a few bad games and getting sat down. What happens is ultimately, I think you're going to have a an Aaron Rodgers Brett Favre situation where Kirk Cousins is going to realize his productivity and want to be a starter somewhere. I don't understand right. how people are really putting this at the feet of, of Mike Shanahan. Sure, there's some things that he could have handled better, but for the most part, RG3 on the field is not something that he's in control of. You see what I'm saying? His decision-making right. is not his. And the decision to, to sit him, that definitely is Mike Shanahan's, and I'm sure that the team itself, Paul, feels a lot better about that because there's not that uncertainty. Kirk Cousins right now, you know what they say about the backup quarterback? He's the best guy on the team until he gets out there on the field. So now they've got an option to create some newness, to do some fresh some fresh approach on some things, and we'll see how Kirk Cousins basically handles the same situations that RG3 was in for the most part of the year. You think Kirk Cousins will have success? I do. You know what, I do. I like the one who's at Michigan State. He's a good quarterback. He's one of those those pocket-pure passers that, that a lot of old traditionalist football players really kind of gravitate towards. And you know who Mike Shanahan is? Mike Shanahan is an old-school John Elway-type quarterback guy, right. and I don't think he really takes too kindly to this, you know, spread offense, mobile quarterback kind of set that we see RG3 being a part of. Right, right. And also you, you want to talk about mobile quarterbacks, although Donovan McNabb he had for a season. That yeah. necessarily didn't work out either. And not to say Donovan really played too well, but – the situation didn't work out. We're talking the former Titans and Houston Oilers offensive tackle Brad Hopkins. Brad, let's go to the 1993 Houston Oilers, which we saw on a football life on the NFL Network. That was your rookie season, and that particular team, a very talented football team, coming off a bad loss to the Buffalo Bills in that playoff game. Buffalo made that tremendous comeback. What was the vibe of the team? You know, I've got to say that it was full of veterans. I think that that team had seven pro bowlers on defense, maybe four or five pro bowlers on offense. It was really led by those players that you saw on the field. It really was. And I think that that was a surprise, a cultural shock for me, if you will, because I was used to a, a John Mack of a Luke Tepper type discipline system and discipline team. And now I come into the league where, you know, where you're getting paid millions of dollars but you know what? There's no one that's in control. It's almost like the inmates were running the prison, so to speak. And I, you know, it's probably a bad analogy, but you understand what I'm saying. There's basically a lack of control from the general manager to the head coach. And, and we all loved them now. Don't get me wrong. Mike Holovec was a tremendous GM, just wasn't the most strong, forceful guy. Uh, Jack Party was an unbelievable coach, but he just didn't have that, that approach to be able to corral egos. So right. you basically had guys like Warren Moon and Sean Jones and Wilbur Marshall and and Haywood Jeffries and Ernest Gibbons, those were the guys that pretty much set the tone for the team. And a lot of times we didn't get along. But you know what? It was about winning. So for 11 straight weeks when we won, nobody was saying anything because it was good to get away from all that negative conversation that we were having about the team when we were 1-4. and four. So everybody was just happy to win. And Bruce Matthews said on the show that there were not a lot of character guys in the locker room. Was it a bad collection of guys in terms of character in that particular locker room? What that team showed you, Paul, was that there's no guarantee that the, whoever you put in the locker room, it's going to work. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of pretension. There's there's a lot of talent too. And then given that, right. everyone wants the ball. Everyone wants to make the tackle. Everyone wants to get the pick. You see what I'm saying? Everybody wants to be quote unquote the guy. But you know, when you get when you're surrounded by you know so many talented players, there's only one football ball, and unfortunately. It created a lot of adversarial situations amongst teammates and players and things like that. But, you know, it was just, it's just one of those things where you can't say that getting, getting 11 guys, you know, in the locker room together, it's always going to work because that, that obviously wasn't the case. 
Now, another guy that you guys brought in, Buddy Ryan, as a defensive coordinator that particular season. And, Buddy, it was offense versus defense. Talk about that dynamic during training camp. Brad? Did I lose you? Uh, no, we're, we got you. Can you hear me? Okay, I'm sorry. Actually, I'm, I'm on my Bluetooth, you know, the whole technology thing, Paul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the question I had, basically, Buddy Ryan came in, they brought him in, and essentially it became offense versus defense. Talk about that dynamic during training camp. Oh, my gosh. You know what? In looking back at the tape itself, I really started to understand more of what Buddy Ryan was, was grumbling about. Here you're trying to get your defense ready, and you're preparing against an offense that you're not going to see on Sunday. But the way he handled it, that obviously was not the correct way. And I think one of the questions that he was asked at the end of that interview was, you know, did he regret the way things went down? Not only with him and Kevin Gilbride, but, you know, that season itself. And he did. He admitted, yeah, he did. But in looking at the run and shoot, it was such a – an extraordinary offense featuring so many things that weren't in a typical traditional offense, the Buddy Ryland was like, you know what, you're not helping us get better as a defense by showing us these formations and things that we're not going to see on Sunday. So therein lies the frustration. And he starts using this choice language like chuck and duck and really getting <laughs> under the getting in, yeah, really getting under the ire of, of Kevin Gilbride, who was a really respectable coordinator at the time and, right. and did some, some things well. But when you're talking about a guy, a traditionalist like Buddy Ryan, a guy that brought that gruffiness, that that uh, that 46, that aggressive style defense. He didn't want to be a part of a no tight end, no fullback set for wide receivers and running around, you know, moving the pocket all the time. That wasn't what he was used to. So it was easy for Buddy Ryan to find himself on the other side being an adversary of the run and shoot. Now, you look at Buddy Ryan, obviously one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of the game. At the end of the day, was he really worth it? I would say so because what he did was he helped change mentalities, Paul. You know, it's like if you're not if you're not too confident in the things that you're doing, you're not going to do them well. Well, Buddy Ryan made his defense still confident because he made them think that, you know what, they couldn't be stopped. There was nothing that they couldn't do to get to the quarterback and to stop good running attacks and things like that. And the talent that he had on that defense, it, they backed it up. They did. For two years mm-hmm. in a row, in 92 and 93, this was a Super Bowl-caliber team, and it was led definitely by the 46 and Buddy Ryan's defense. But what happened is, you know, sometimes you've got to take a step back to, get a, to take a step forward, and Buddy is not that kind of guy. He never was. But unfortunately, I think that, you know, it was, it was um, an opportunity lost, especially when you have so many talented players and a, and a scheme that obviously shown to be effective. We're talking to former Titans and Houston Oilers offensive tackle Brad Hopkins and Brad Everybody talks about the punch. Buddy Ryan going after yeah. Kevin Gilbride. Gilbride, excuse me. Give us your perspective on what happened. Well, I was coming off the field because actually I was involved in the sack that started that frustration because obviously okay. Buddy Ryan wanted Kevin to kneel on the ball and take it into halftime. We had a lead, and then we ended up giving up the sack and giving the ball back to the other team, giving them an opportunity to score. Therein lies Buddy Ryan's frustration. But I think that Buddy threw the punch ball because he thought that Kevin was going to throw the punch first. It was almost okay. like a preemptive strike. I think he right. saw Kevin, Kevin was, like he said in the, in the documentary, Kevin heard some rumbling behind him, wasn't quite sure what Buddy Ryan was saying, and was going to come closer to him so he could hear what he was going to say. And then before he could actually get within, you know, arm's distance of Buddy, Buddy went ahead and took the swing to, you know, to kind of keep him <laughs> off him, I think, in my opinion. Because if you listen to Kevin's words after that, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, boy, 
had there been a few less players or maybe a coach or two less, that situation would have been taken care of there on the sideline. We've been talking a lot more about the things that happened on that sideline, more so than just Buddy Ryan throwing a punch. Kevin Gilbride, he couldn't beat up an old man like Buddy Ryan. Oh, my gosh. But, but wouldn't you have loved to see him? Come on. <laughs> but, I mean, after this all happened, I mean, what's going through your mind? You still have a game to play. Well, that was, you know, that was the pinnacle of frustrations for everybody. Because there were players that you know that that understood what Buddy Ryan was going through, and there were players that understood what Kevin Gilbert was going through, and nobody wanted to hear this backbiting, this this distinction between offense and defense. But it was going on. Uh, I think that you know as long as we were remaining competitive, ultimately that's what you want. But you didn't want to do it at the cost of the team, and we saw that for pretty much after that point, division was set, and that, that was not going to be a team the next year. There was no way it was going to happen. Now, Brad, you look at your particular football, that, that team in 1993, a lot of drama, a lot of things outside of football. You had the whole situation, David Williams, and the whole situation where he went with his wife as she was going to deliver her baby. You look at that story nowadays, I mean, you hear that particular story, it really wouldn't be that big of a deal. He would go with his wife, and the rest is history. But at the time, he was ripped by Bud Adams, the owner. At the time, how did you see it? Well... He gave birth almost two days before the game. So it wasn't a situation like she went into labor Sunday morning. You know, I think that that – I understood completely what David was thinking, and this is the birth of his first child. And you would want to be there at her side. But this is a a unique occupation in that, you know, the the, the time commitments and and the sacrifices are so much greater, in in my opinion, that, you know, you you really have to take – that in consideration when you're when you're wanting to do something like that. I understand you want to be a father and be there for the birth of your first child, and, and that's a that's a very commendable uh, um, thing that he went through. But in looking at it, he had plenty of time to catch the plane. He had plenty of time to rejoin you know rejoin the team, go up and play a game. Thirty six hours later, you're back at your wife's side and holding your baby in hand. I understand that, but David took that opportunity, you know, to kind of be there more so for his family than his other, his football family, and where he has two responsibilities, one being the, you know, the, the caregiver and caretaker for his family, but then also right. being the right tackle for the Houston Oilers, and that in itself needed some attention as well that weekend. So how would Brad Hopkins have handled that situation? Well, I definitely would have been there by her side, you know, probably till the waiting moments. I probably would have left the air, the hospital heading to the airport. That's probably what I would have done because – there was really no reason for me to miss the game or miss the flight, you know, given the fact that my kid had been born, what, eight, 12 hours before we were supposed to leave. So he had plenty of time to get there. Now, Brad, you also had a tragic story, the story of Jeff Arm committed suicide after uh, getting into a car accident would ultimately, ultimately killed one of his friends. What did that incident do to you and the team as a whole? You know what, Paul, there were so many speculations as to – as to the facts of that story, and, and to this day, I still really don't know exactly what happened and what the motivation was. We all knew that, you know, that Jeff was a risky driver, you know, and liked to drive fast. I mean, we all do in some respect. I mean, we're, that's, the, that's, a, that's a thrill thrill seeker in him. But in doing something that cost the life of someone dear to him, I could see how he panicked and just basically, right. you know, took the situation into his own hands and, done, and did the same thing to himself that ultimately was done to his friend. Um, there, you know, there was there was speculations about a relationship and all kinds of other silliness that I'm not going to get into. But if you right. live in Houston, if you're in that community, you knew that that was rumors and speculations. And 
to this day, we really don't know truly 100% what happened in that story. I just uh, I know that Jeff was an intense guy. He was a great teammate. You know, and unfortunately, circumstances like that, like that happen in life, they don't escape professional athletes just because you make a whole bunch of money. So he just got himself wrapped up into a situation that, unfortunately, a lot of people in this world find themselves in. Definitely. We're talking to Titans and Houston, former Titan, former Houston Oilers, offensive tackle Brad Hopkins. And, Brad, looking back on the documentary now and the disappointment that you got, you, you saw the disappointment. You guys talked about it, the disappointment that you guys had when you lost to the Kansas City Chiefs in the divisional round. Take us back to your mindset after that game. Well, we knew that there was going to be a breakup. You know, we knew that there were a number of free agents that needed to get re-signed that weren't going to get re-signed. We knew there were a number of coaches that had aspirations of being the man, and, you know, basically they were going to break up that squad. I think going into that game, we had a lot of confidence because we played them earlier in the year. I think we beat them like 30 to nothing, something yeah. something ridiculous. To where we had an unbelievable amount of confidence going into that game. But the difference was um, they didn't feature Joe Montana the first time we played, or played them. And that guy right there, I mean, that was the reason why they brought him in was for situations like that where he can get a tough win on the road against a good opponent and get them, you know, advancing to the next stage. So that was just like we said in the documentary, opportunity lost. You know, the, the aspirations and goals of everybody on that team was to get to the to hoist the Lombardi. And when you see a fall short, especially when you've had a bye week in the first week of the playoffs, it's really disheartening. It really was. Now, you played on a team that made it to the Super Bowl. All in all, mm-hmm. 1993 Oilers, the most talented team you ever played on? No, no. Okay. Um, and, I, I, no and I would say that it probably would be – not even the team that we went to the Super Bowl with. I think it was, it was the, the couple of years after that Super Bowl run, there were some teams that were expected to get back to that same pinnacle. And unfortunately, you know, teams played better than we did. And we lost to a New England, and we lost to an Oakland team that was resurging. And things like that happened. But, yeah, that, that, they had a lot of talented players on in 1993. So did the 1999-2000. But we put together some pretty good squads in 2001, 2002. I think that those are pretty much the most talented teams that I played on. Now, Brad, what's the takeaway from the 1993 Oilers? What's the, what's the lesson? Oh, my gosh. What could possibly be a lesson learned from that season? <laughs> uh, you know, um, it's, it's really seizing the moment, you know, and don't take, in, don't take things for granted. You know, regardless of how good you may think you are, there's always somebody that's ready to knock you off. And when you've got the crosshairs, when you're at the top of the mountain, so to speak, and, and teams are expecting you to, you know, to be a challenge, you've got to also look at them as a challenge because if you don't have that same mindset, it could be an ugly day, and Kansas City can happen all over again. Definitely. It, it happened to you guys, obviously, as far as I'm concerned. And I remember that particular football game. I watched that mm-hmm. game, and you guys were up on them, and it seemed like you guys were in complete control, and yeah. then it just turned, and then – the rest of the two halves. two halves, Paul. Definitely, definitely, and it happens in football. Yeah. Brad, you're on Twitter. Where can fans connect with you on Twitter? They can connect with me at, at B underscore hop 72, and uh, I, I definitely respond. I'm not one of those guys that doesn't. I like to hear from my constituents. Definitely. And, and real quickly now, Tennessee Titans at this point, tough loss last week against the Denver Broncos. Where, where do you see this team moving forward? Well, there's a lot of questions about Jake Locker, a lot of questions about Chris Johnson, a lot of questions about Mike Munchak. Mike Munchak's pretty secure in that the new ownership of Tommy Smith, um, the general manager of Weston Webster, they grew up together. 
as the Love You Blue, uh, the era of Oilers, where Mike Munchak was drafted in 1982. So there's an understanding okay. there. And, and, and also there's an understanding, Paul, that basically Mike inherited the players that he has. And the system that he'd like to see run, it might not be run the best with the personnel that we do have. So some changes, you know, that are obviously coming in the future, they might benefit Mike. Uh, I don't think that it's the end of the road for Chris Johnson or Jake Locker. I just think that consistency helps professional athletes, and Jake being healthy helps. A healthy Jake Locker helps a healthy Chris Johnson. So they can work hand-in-hand as long as they're on the field at the same time. And real quickly, how do you see the AFC at this point? The Broncos lost last night to the San Diego Chargers. New England Patriots, obviously they're without Gronk. But if they run the table, they can have home field advantage throughout the playoffs in the AFC. How do you see it? You know, I hate throwing the Chargers back in that mix because it seems like at some point in time during the middle of the season they always stub their toe. But guess what they always do? Resurge and come back towards the end. And then getting the road, um, a win against the Broncos and Peyton Manning, that just kind of shows that you can't count them out. I like the Chiefs. I like the way that they played. Of course, not, if they're not playing the Broncos, boy, they are world beaters. But um, pretty much, you know, in my opinion, with, with New England being without, you know, their number one target and Rob Gronkowski and Wes Welker, I think he's going to be on the shelf this weekend. I'm not too confident about the Patriots pretty much controlling their own destiny either. So, in my opinion, really, Paul, this thing in the AFC side is up in the air. The only team that's commanding everything, in my opinion, is on the NFC side, and that's the Seattle Seahawks. Other than that, right. no one's playing with that kind of confidence. It should be very, very interesting what happens. Moving oh, yeah. forward, Brad, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. Sounds good. Just give me a call. Take care. Take care, bye. Brad Hopkins, former offensive tackle for the Titans and for the Houston Oilers. And as we know, the 1993 Oilers was chronicled on a football life on the NFL Network. And, I mean, obviously this is a team, and as I said before I brought Brad on, I look at this Houston Oilers team and Warren Moon and the talent that they had on that football team and just some of the things that just happened to that team. I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, John Elway, and that whole situation, the big fourth down where he hits Vance Johnson in that particular game, whether it's up 35-3 to in the third quarter and you lose in the game, you don't lose football games where you're up 35-3 to in the third quarter. I mean, just some crazy things have happened to the Houston Oilers. The Oilers, the, the, you know, the late 80, early 90 Houston Oilers always kind of reminded me of the late 80, early 90 Philadelphia Eagles. It, it just was a team that, for whatever reason, was snake bitten. Something always happened. You look at 1991, which could have been the year for the Philadelphia Eagles. That was the year where the defense was at its best. I mean, number one defense in the league on every category. They were the best. And in the first game of the season, Randall Cunningham goes down. And, and so it just, you know, the Eagles and the talent they have, they're, they're against Chicago Bears, moving the ball up and down the field. 1988, you look at it. The fog in the first half, they're moving the ball up and down the field. They were able to only get field goals, but they were in that game, and they were able to move the ball consistently up and down the field against that Bears defense. Guess what comes in the second half? The fog rolls in, and the rest is history. It's just those two teams, the, the Oilers and, and, the, and the Eagles, snake-bitten franchises, late 80s, early 90s, and they remind me so much of each other. Second hour of Go Forward starts right now.
Corey Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! We're back. Second hour of Go For It. Go For It. Can't even talk. Second hour of Go For It starting now. In the second hour, in this hour, we're expected to be joined by actor and one of the stars of Different Strokes. You remember that show in the late, was it, late 70s, early 80s, 1978 to 1986 in winter. But you remember that show. Shaver Ross, who played Dudley on that particular show. We're going to have him in this hour. It should be interesting to talk to him, talk about some of the things in Different Strokes. You know, you know, you had all the issues. Dana Plato, she committed suicide. and uh, You had Gary Coleman, who died a few years back, and Todd Bridges, who has had struggles with drugs. And at this point, seems to be on the right track. But you know, he was one of the few that that was able to to avoid some of the pitfalls of of being a childhood actor, being a child actor. So you know, we're going to talk to Shaver about that. So make sure you stick around. We're going to have him in this hour. I want to go back now to Peyton Manning and the uh, San Diego Chargers, Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos, and you know, moving forward as I look at the AFC. But more specifically, before I get to that, I want to focus now on Rob Rob Gronkowski and the whole situation with him. He's out for the year, tore ACL, MCL as well. And we all know the play. Uh, Gronkowski going across the middle, makes the catch. T.J. Ward, safety for the Cleveland Browns, eyes him up, goes low, rips up Gronk's knee. I look at that, and, you know, here's the reality of today's NFL. You go high, it's going to cost you. It could cost you. You know what I mean? I mean, guys are getting fined left and right for helmet-to-helmet hits. And so when you look at T.J. Ward, he's one of the guys who said he had to switch up his game, and he has switched up his game. But you look at that whole situation now, and he did what he had to do to protect his pockets. Excuse me. He did what he had to do to protect his pockets. And I don't blame him for that. I don't blame him. He had to do what he had to do. And the reality of it, it's a legal hit. It's a legal hit. It's a legal hit. And T.J. Ward told the Cleveland plain dealer a few days back, quote, when they set the rule, Everyone knew what was going to happen. This can happen if you have those type situations. It's pretty much inevitable, and they forced their hand with this one. I've been fined three times, and I don't like playing for free. If you go ask anybody in this league, would they like to play for free? No. Repeat offenders, they're starting to suspend people for the year. I can't risk that. I won't risk that. And I got to play within the rules, point blank. I can't argue with you, T.J. Ward. (laughs) I I can't argue with you. And the bottom line is this. This is going to be happening. You saw the situation a couple years back with Eric Decker, where he was a guy went low, ripped up his knee. These type of things are going to happen moving forward. I don't know how guys are able to tackle anybody. I, I don't know what they – you don't even know what 
is considered a legal tackle in the National Football League. You don't know. It's so confusing. Ahmad Brooks and the whole play with Drew Brees. That looked like a legal hit. That looked like a legal play. It cost Ahmad Brooks some money. He was fined because of that play. It cost him money. It cost the, the 49ers a football game. It did not seem bad. It didn't seem like it was illegal. It did not seem like it was illegal. It didn't. I mean, you, you got to use some common sense. You got to use some common sense. He was fined 15 grand. $15,750 for that hit. For that hit, a hit that did not look like a penalty. A hit that looked like a legal play. But as it turns out, it was an illegal play. And as it turned out, it ends up costing Ahmad Brooks fifteen grand. Hey, as T.J. Ward would say, I've been fined three times. I don't like playing for free. I don't know anybody that likes to play for free. And I understand why T.J. Ward did what he did. I understand it. And if you ask anybody in the National Football League, what would you rather hurt, your head or your knee? What would you rather have somebody go after your head or your knee? They will tell you their head, not their knee. That's what they would tell you, the head and not the knee. But I don't blame T.J. Ward and... These are the type of things that we will and we should expect to see moving forward. These are the type of things that we should expect to see moving forward. We should. Guys getting hit low. It's just the nature of the beast. It's just the nature of today's National Football League. You can't hit high, so you got to hit low. It's like an old Michael Jackson song, too high to get over, too low to get under. You're stuck in the middle. But the thing about it, you're stuck in the middle, and a guy is coming at you at full speed. What are you to do? you got to decide. You have to decide. You have to make a split-second decision. And T.J. Ward made a decision to protect his pockets. In making that decision to protect his pockets, he ripped up Rob Gronkowski's knee. Now Grunk is gone for the year. Do you blame T.J. Ward? I don't. He don't like playing for free. And in today's NFL, no one knows where the strike zone is. No one knows. It's, it's complicated. You can't hit a quarterback low. You can't hit a quarterback high. It's so difficult to hit. I mean, it's so hard to get to the quarterback to begin with, let alone now some of these rules that are in place in terms of where you can hit the quarterback in the strike zone 
if you will. It's difficult to figure out what that strike zone is. The moment you think you got this thing figured out is the moment you don't. The NFL has to do something about this. They do. And the reality is this is not, you could say player safety, player safety, player safety, player safety, but this is not about player safety. This is about the concussion lawsuit, which was settled. This is about those things. This is about perception and reality. And as we know, there is no reality, only perception. So perception that's out there, or at least the perception that the National Football League is trying to put out there, is that they are and do care about these players. They, they want to make the game safer, but they play Thursday nights. They want to make the game safer, but they allow guys to go low. They want to make the game safer. At least that's what they tell you. If you believe that, I have some land in the West Indies that I would like to sell you. Because the NFL doesn't care about these players. It's all about the bottom line. It's all about protecting the bottom line. That's what these owners care about. Do I blame them? I guess I don't. Do I understand it? I guess I do. But is it right? Probably not. And I look at how 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 is how how is the union allowing you know these things to happen? And I know the union has given a lot of power to Roger Goodell, but it, how are they letting these guys get fined like this for questionable hits? How how it's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When I when when, when I'm going to teach my kids not to play football. Go out and play baseball. They got a strong union, guaranteed deals, guaranteed money. Go out and play basketball. They have a strong union, guaranteed deals, guaranteed money. Go do that. I'm not putting you out on that football field. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You, I don't want you out on that football field. You beat your body up. You don't get paid like the other sports do, but you're the most popular sport, but you don't get paid like the other sports. You don't get the guaranteed money like the other sports. I mean, I'm looking at this Ahmad Brooks hit now, and I know it was a few weeks ago, but I'm looking at it right now, and I'm looking at this. That's not a penalty, A, and B, that's not a 15 grand fine. That is not a 15 grand fine. It's just not. But it is what it is. Sticking with the National Football League now, last night's football game, uh, you had the Broncos and the Chargers. Well, apparently after the football game, three people were stabbed. Three people were stabbed in the parking lot after the game. And, you know, it was something they were fighting over a parking space. And you almost hit a B. I guess the, one of the people uh, pulled out their car and nearly hit another person's vehicle. They got to a fight, stabbed each other up, so on and so forth. But here's the reality of the situation, man. I mean, can we can we be smart about some things? I mean, you're you're going to a football game. It's a getaway. It's a good time. You know, I mean, it's it's just a parking space. You know, we we have to look at us each other, look at ourselves as a society. You know, where where these type of things happen and road rage and things of that nature. You know what? At the end of the day, it's just not that serious. It's just not that serious. 
It's not that serious. You're fighting over a near car accident. It wasn't a car accident. You didn't hit him. It was a near car accident. And you're fighting over that. Three people were stabbed. This is stupid. This is dumb. Over nothing. Over an almost accident. Guess what? Thank your lucky stars. Count your blessings that you did not get into an accident. You avoided an accident. You avoided an accident. <laughs> crazy. Just absolutely crazy. News out of Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers now. He won't play against the Green Bay against the Dallas Cowboys. And you wonder now at this point, moving forward, what happens to Aaron Rodgers? What happens? At this point, he's not cleared by the team doctors. And, you know, it's you get the sense that Aaron Rodgers won't play again this season. And, you know, especially at this point, if if the Packers were to lose some of their – and they're still, they still have a legitimate shot to win the NFC North, but, you know, Matt Flynn is their quarterback, and he did lead them to a victory over the Atlanta Falcons. But Aaron Rodgers says he still has pain in his shoulder. And, you know, you get the sense now moving forward that Aaron Rodgers probably won't come back. And if he doesn't come back, you know, obviously there's no way that the Green Bay Packers can get to the playoffs and win the NFC North. This is a totally different football team without Aaron Rodgers. And the reality is this defense isn't good enough without Aaron Rodgers to have the success that they need and to win the football games that they need to do win moving forward. The defense is just not good enough. It's just not a good enough defense to carry them. It's not. And Aaron Rodgers, he's big time, obviously one of the better quarterbacks in this game. I mean, but when you're, you're 25th against the run, you're 21st against the pass. So, obviously, you're not stopping a lot of people. A lot of people are having success. I mean, Detroit dropped 40 on you on Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? So, you know, teams are having success against you, that defense. Your, your, your defense is not where it needs to be in order to carry this football team. You can't carry this football team, Green Bay Packer defense, so you need Aaron Rodgers. You need Aaron Rodgers. You need them. And if they want to get to the playoffs, Aaron Rodgers has to be their quarterback. Matt Flynn is not going to get it done, even though he did perform decently last week against the Falcons in a comeback victory against the Atlanta Falcons. He did perform decently in that particular football game. He did. So we'll see. Obviously, I don't believe in Matt Flynn, but hey, he led him to a victory last week. So we'll see what happens with the Packers moving forward. We'll see if the Packers can get to the playoffs without Aaron Rodgers, because I don't think Aaron Rodgers will be back. should be very interesting what happens. I want to go now to the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Foles on the cover of Sports Illustrated. So now if you're an Eagles fan like myself, you've got to be wary of the SI jinx. But I want to go up to that football game last week in the snow, and a lot of snow football games last week. You had Baltimore and, and Minnesota in the snow. You had Pittsburgh and Miami in the snow. You also, obviously, you had the Eagles and the Lions in the snow. And that, and that game was a, an epic football game. It was a crazy football game. I mean, that, that, that's the type of football game you won't see uh, a lot of many times. I mean, that game was just crazy. All the snow on the field. and what, 
I, I live in the Philadelphia area, and obviously there wasn't supposed to be that much snow on the ground. There wasn't. The forecast did not call for that much snow. And there was a lot of snow, about six, eight inches on the ground, on the field. And you look at that game, and the funny part of that game, I look at it now, and um, Jeremy Ross has the punt return. At that point, the Lions go 14 nothing. At that point, the Eagles were not able to move the ball. At that point, weren't really able to run the ball. And they had some struggles. But Nick Foles, and the way Nick Foles has been playing, finally threw an interception last week. But Nick Foles, the way he's been playing, he led that team back in an important drive there to, to, to put them down 14-6, but to get them right back into the football game. And then in that fourth quarter, you know, Shady McCoy took over. That offensive line was, was took over and was just making some big-time holes for, for Chris Polk and for LaShawn McCoy. LaShawn McCoy and, and the Eagles rushing offense, 227 yards rushing in the fourth quarter. That's something you don't see a lot of. 227 yards in the fourth quarter. Just a crazy football game. It makes you appreciate the snow. I mean, the snow, it was just a beautiful backdrop. It was just beautiful football. And you want, it makes you wonder what might happen. I know the Farmer's Almanac is calling for snow for the Super Bowl at MetLife Stadium. What may happen if there's snow in the forecast? And I'm one of these guys, I don't want to see it. Well, I do kind of want to see it for, for the simple fact it would, be, uh, it would be intriguing and interesting. But from the standpoint of, of wanting to see a quote-unquote clean game where, you know, weather does not decide who wins it and what decides it is the talent on the field and not the weather, I would love to see that. I mean, obviously you want that to be the case, but at the same time, it would be very, very interesting to see a snowstorm during the Super Bowl. That would be very, very interesting to see. We'll see if it happens. They're calling for it. But going back to that game with the Philadelphia Eagles now, where they stand, 8-5 and five, on top of the NFC East, and we saw the Dallas Cowboys last week. Uh, on Monday night, we, we we saw them and how bad they were. They couldn't stop me. They couldn't stop you. They couldn't stop anybody in that particular. I mean, the, the Bears didn't even punt. Went up and down the field on that Cowboys defense. That Cowboys defense was awful. They were awful in that particular game. And we had uh, Everett Brown on the Cowboys last week, and he talked about how he felt like his team was peaking at the right time. And, you look at the Cowboys, obviously they took a step back in that game. They took a step back on the defensive side of football. They didn't play well on the, defense, on the defensive side of football. But here's what I'll say. Here is what I will say. Even though as bad as the Cowboys looked last week, as bad as they looked, and they were bad, they still control their own destiny. Excuse me, they have three games left. They have Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers, totally different football team without Aaron Rodgers. They have Washington now, a team in turmoil, and they have the Philadelphia Eagles at home in Dallas. As we all know, the Cowboys already beat the Eagles this season. So the Cowboys, as bad as it looks, as bad as it looks, the Cowboys still control their own destiny. The Cowboys now have an opportunity, if they win the final three games, they have an opportunity 
to get to the playoffs and win the NFC East. They have that opportunity. They still do. They still do. They still do. So, and one thing we learn about the NFL, it's a week-to-week league. It's a week-to-week league. So, one week you think you know a team, one week you think a team's done, and then the next week they come on back and they show you something different. The Cowboys, many are saying they're done. Many are, are, are ready to hand over the NFC, the NFC East crown to the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm not prepared to do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. And I'm an Eagles fan, and I would love to do it. But I can't do it. I can't do it. The Cow, and, and, it's, and Sean Lee is not going to play. But, hey, Aaron Rodgers isn't playing. So, you know, obviously the Packers are a different football team. The Redskins, Kirk Cousins is in, in there. You know, he hasn't started a game in a long time. Hasn't started a game in a long time. I think Cousins will have success. But the bottom line, he hasn't started a football game in a long time. A long time. He hasn't started a football game in a long time. So the reality is, and the Cowboys already beat the Eagles once. Already beat Nick Foles once. Nick Foles was, Nick Foles was awful against the Dallas Cowboys. His worst football game as a pro. Awful. But what, 80 yards passing in that particular game. He was awful before he left with a concussion in the fourth quarter. He was awful. So I'm not ready to throw the Cowboys away. I, I, I'm not ready to, to say the Cowboys are done. I'm not. I'm not. And as I said last week, the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. And I still believe that's going to be the case. I don't want it to happen, but I think the Cowboys are going to win the NFC East. I know what we saw last week, but things can change. Things can change, and I think things will change. I expect the Dallas Cowboys to still win the NFC East. They control their own destiny. Bad as they played, they control their own destiny. New England Patriots, even without Rob Gronkowski, even without some of the weapons that they that they don't have, even after being down in those last three games, even after coming back and making comebacks and so on and so forth, even after all that, even after Tom Brady not having the weapons that he once had, at the end of the day, they're 10-3. and three. The New England Patriots, if they went out, they will have the top spot in the AFC. So that changed the whole dynamic of the AFC. Who wins the Heisman? Who wins the Heisman tomorrow? Who wins the Heisman? And make sure you stick around. You're listening to Go Forward on blogtalkradio.com. Make sure you stick around. Shaver Ross Dudley from Different Strokes will be joining us uh, in the next few moments. But anyway, college football. College football, what we saw last week. Ohio State had an opportunity to go to the BCS title game and we had J.R. Lemon, actor, J.R. Lemon, who is starring in Tyler Perry's uh, Amadeus Christmas. We had him on last week, and he was complaining about the Ohio State Buckeyes and, and, and how, you know, even though they're undefeated, he doesn't believe they should be in a BCS title game, even if they would have won out. 
I disagreed with him, but ultimately, I guess, I guess, things just took care of themselves. And and that happening, Ohio State lost to Michigan State, and Michigan State played a great defensive football game. And ultimately, Auburn was able, what, over 500 yards rushing. Auburn was able to do what they needed to do to get to the title game and win that game. And ultimately, Florida State did what many expected them to do in dominating fashion, dominate and do what they had to do in beating the Duke Blue Devils. And speaking of Florida State, Jameis Winston, as we all know, he's going to win the Heisman tomorrow. I don't think there's really no secret at this point. Jameis Winston will win the Heisman. But, you know, he had something lingering over his head, and that was the situation with the allegations that were out there in terms of him and a possible sexual assault, possible rape. But at this point, they will not pursue any charges against him. So at this point, he's in the clear, and he talked about it. Quote, I knew I did nothing wrong. I knew I could respect the process, and eventually I'd be vindicated. And I'd be eventually being – he basically was vindicated. Eventually he knew he'd be vindicated, and, and he was vindicated at this point. He said he did nothing wrong. He respected the process. And as far as I'm concerned, I think he can move on from it. You know, I, I really do. I, I definitely think he can move on at this point. Um, you know, you wonder now how long will this linger? I don't think it'll linger much longer. I mean, after he picks up his Heisman, if he wins the title, and ultimately if he goes to the NFL and has success, I don't think we'll ever talk about this again. I mean, let's be honest about something. You remember the whole situation with Kobe Bryant and the alleged rape in, in Colorado and all that, that whole story and that whole situation? Guess what? We don't even talk about that anymore. It's not even mentioned. No one, uh, people rarely bring it up. Bottom line is Kobe has continued to excel and produce on the basketball court. Basketball court, and we we forget about it. Obviously, Kobe was never convicted of anything, but he did pay the victim some money. But he wasn't convicted of anything. He wasn't. But bottom line is, I think that's going to be the same thing with Jameis Winston. He's going to win the Heisman tomorrow, after, especially after last week. I mean. Once they revealed that charges would not be filed against him, it was a foregone conclusion that Jameis Winston would win the Heisman. That's a foregone conclusion. Foregone. So now he picks up his Heisman. Now he's off to the national title game against Auburn, the BCS title game. And then moving forward, he's going to have to play one more season. And then he can declare if he wants to. And if he comes back next year, has another big-time season, and he continues to be a big-time quarterback and ultimately gets drafted by the NFL and ultimately he continues to produce and does big things in the NFL, we're going to forget about it. And now if he has another incident, then we're going to talk about it again. But if he keeps his nose clean, a la Kobe Bryant, who essentially kept his nose clean moving forward, if he keeps his nose clean, guess what? We're not even going to talk about this. This is not even going to be a story. This is not even going to be an issue. As far as I'm concerned, he's vindicated. As far I agree with him, he's vindicated. As far as I'm concerned, he's an innocent man. He's an innocent man. Maybe something will come out down the line that will, will tell me otherwise. 
But as far as I'm concerned, he's an innocent man, but you have the other side now, the lawyer of the accuser of James Winston. You know, they've, they've criticized the investigation. They have criticized the investigation. They believe that this should be investigated further. They believe that it should be investigated further. And who knows what the, where, where they may go. Who knows where they may go. Who knows. Who knows. Who, maybe they go the civil way. Maybe they go the civil way. And, then, you know, they're questioning some of the things that happened in the case. They're questioning it. And, you know, they're questioning the investigation. So maybe the story isn't over. Maybe who knows what could happen. As far as I'm concerned at this point, it's over. It's over. But who knows what could happen moving forward. Who knows what could happen. I mean, the woman's blood alcohol level was over the legal limit. At least, according to the investigation, it was over the legal limit. So who knows where this whole situation may go? Who knows? But one thing I do know is, at this point, James Winston is going to pick up a Heisman. And one thing I do know at this point, James Winston will be playing in a national title game. We'll see how this whole thing transpires moving forward. When we come back, we're going to be joined by one of the stars of different strokes. Shaver Ross will be joining us. If you don't remember, he is Dudley from Different Strokes. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean see. anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't <laughs> mean anything. I was trying to throw uh, you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not Rossi. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. We're going to be joined by a guy now. You know, he he was a very funny character on different strokes. I remember different strokes, 1978 to 1986. And, you know, I kind of called it, you know, near the end and also called the reruns. It's a a smidge before my time, but not necessarily. Not necessarily. Born in, I was born in 1976, by the way. So it's it's a little bit in my wheelhouse, but not necessarily. But I kind of called it on reruns. And, And I remember this guy. This guy was a funny guy. And this guy who played the friend, of Arnold. He played Dudley, the friend of Gary Coleman. Let's bring him in now, actor and one of the stars of Different Strokes, Shavar Ross. Shavar! Yo, hey, how you doing, buddy? 
How are you, man? I'm doing wonderful. How you doing? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, Shavar, obviously your big break was Different Strokes, where you played the role of Dudley, the friend of Arnold, the late Gary Coleman. How did this role come about for you? Uh, I went out on uh, several auditions and callbacks for that uh, show back in 1980, uh, you know, and I was actually uh, visiting my dad, who was the actor. I didn't really set out to come to California to be an actor, but my dad was the actor, and I sort of got this, well, I won't say sort of, but I got discovered uh, at a play uh, by a children's agent. And so during my Christmas vacation uh, in California visiting my dad, um, I was sent out on the audition, and I got the role. So that's how it happened. Okay. Now, I mean, at the time, you were about nine years old, right? Yes, I was, uh, yeah, eight or nine, something like that. Definitely, yep, right around that, yeah, eight years old, nine, something. So you're nine years old. You're in Hollywood now. Talk about being on the set of Different Strokes. Being on the set. Do you know what? I was uh, originally, I'm actually a, a native New Yorker. I'm from the South Bronx, New York. And then uh, I, I hear lived it. in Georgia for about one year. Uh, in, in, uh, in Macon, Georgia for a year. So, you know, I watched different strokes when I was uh, about eight, seven or eight or something like that because uh, this, was, this would have been about 1979. I know I feel like I'm about 100 years old right now. But, yeah, 1979, you were, you were uh, three years old, right? You said you were born in 1976, so that would have made 76. you what? Three oh. years old. Oh, you were a little, little three. Well, I was seven. Okay, so, okay. Um, and uh, you know, so I watched the show, and uh, I was just fascinated by Todd Bridges, Gary Coleman, especially the episode when Todd Bridges did this backflip uh, to impress a girl, and I was like, oh my goodness, these dudes are just, you know, we didn't see a lot of African American children on television right. on a regular basis at that time, so I was fascinated. Uh, so being on the set, you know, I was just. I don't know. I just uh, I was excited to be there. You know, I was young. Uh, these were people that I I saw on television uh, just maybe eight months earlier, maybe a little bit before that. So uh, it, I was just uh, living it up. Now, what was your relationship like with Gary Coleman? Gary Coleman and I were were uh, really good friends. You know, he was a okay. couple of years older than me, maybe two or three years older than me. He always had a certain maturity about him that I found fascinating. I, fascinating. I thought he was so intelligent, uh, you know, and his comedic timing was just wonderful for someone to just have all of those lines memorized, you know, at such a young age. Uh, to me, that was just amazing. So I learned a lot from him. We were good friends, you know, uh, slept over his house many times, helped, uh, you know, change, help, you know, I helped him with his dialysis and all kind of different things. Um, but you know he, uh, you know it's just really sad to 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 know that he's gone, um, right. as well as Dana Plato and recently uh, Bane as well. Right. Yeah. I mean it was it was tough for a lot of you guys on that set. And and I look at you now. I mean you were a child actor. I mean you you were eight years old when you got the role as Dudley on Different Strokes. Long hours, obviously. Do you feel like you lost your childhood a little bit looking back on it? 
Well, I never got a chance to go to a prom, but I did play a lot of little league football and baseball uh, and basketball. So, no, I cannot say that I lost my childhood at all. It was just um, uh, it was just a different childhood, but uh, um, I totally uh, loved it, and I have no regrets about doing it all again. Well, I do actually have some things that I would not want to I, I, Certain things that I would not want to do again. Let me take that back. But for the most part, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I don't have any regrets about any of that acting. We're talking to actor and one of the stars of Different Strokes, Shavar Ross. And as you remember, he played Dudley on that show. The, one of the best friends of Arnold Jackson, who is Gary Coleman, the late Gary Coleman, on that particular show. And I look at it, and you talked about it. You mentioned it, you know, the whole situation, Daniel Plato and the suicide, you know, Gary Coleman and his his death, and obviously Conrad Bain just diving. And you also had Todd Bridges, who had some issues with drugs, and he's working on that and actually is overcoming them at this point. But all in all, yeah. all in all, you look at all the problems that those individuals had. How tough is, was it for you to see that struggle? Well, uh, I saw and experienced the struggle with with myself. So uh, I was not in the spotlight as much as uh, Gary and Todd, obviously, but I had my share of, you know, a, a lot of, you know, uh, different uh, things that uh, could have affected me, you know, uh, f- for the worse. Uh, but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I saw a lot of things in the industry, but... Um, you know, my thing was to uh, just to get through a lot of the things that I was, you know, the things that were going on in my life. So, and thank God, you know, I was able to, uh, with the help of God, overcome uh, many things in this industry that I would not put on a young child, especially okay. my daughter or my son. You know, it, it's, uh, it's it can be very dangerous if you don't have a, a firm foundation. Now, what are some of the things that happen with you? Oh, all kinds of different things. I was exposed to uh, crack, you know, at one time. Todd, you know, he was real deep into it. I was curious, and I remember one day I was off with some girl, and she was older than me, and we were up at Griffin Park, and she wanted me to take a ride with her. I didn't know where she was going. I was curious. I was 15 years old, an emancipated minor at the time, which enabled me to, you know, I was considered a legal adult. And mm-hmm. I just nagged. I was like, where are you going? She said, let me just go make this run. Bottom line, uh, she was going to pick up some crack. And okay. uh, this was, you know, right when it was just real popular, what have you. And uh, and she showed it to me after me nagging the, the girl, you know. And uh, when I saw her, I was like, oh, oh I want to try this you know, that type of thing. And what's, what's so amazing about this story, I don't really share this one as much as much as I talk online or just with my friends and things that, I, you know, most of the things that I share, I don't really share this one that much. I'm not sure why. But the bottom line is that I've nagged the girl into help, helping me to free base. Uh, she showed me how to do it. I tried it one time, and nothing happened. And I'm like, wait a minute, what kind of crack or free base or whatever you call it is this? This is not working for me. And she said, oh, don't worry. Sometimes for some, sometimes for some people who try it for the first time, they don't feel nothing. But if you try it again, you it'll work. And so I was about to try it again, and you know what happened? I, it's almost like, you know, you start looking around and thinking you're hearing voices voices, and you're like, well, who's talking to me? And I heard, all I heard was, if you do it again, you're going to die. If you do it, okay. if you try it again, you're going to die. 
And I started looking around like, whoa, who, what was that, you know? And the bottom line is I said, you know what, I'll just pass. And I really believe that, you know, that was God looking over me so that I would not get addicted or strung out on this thing. And I really believe, it, you know, I w- it would have killed me somehow. I really believe that. Wow. Wow. That's a, that's, a, that's, that's a, just one experience, uh, Paul. Right, right, so. right. <laughs> and and I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure there's more. I mean, you are, it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood. Yeah. So uh, anything uh-huh. is possible and anything can happen. I, I believe it. Any story you tell me, I'll believe it because it is mm-hmm. Hollywood. And I, I look at you now, man, and, and one of the, your famous episodes on Different Strokes was the situation where it was the Bicycle Man, the Bicycle Man episode. Everybody remembers that episode <laughs> if you watch different, different Strokes. You know, the situation <laughs> when you and Arnold, you were getting touched by the older gentleman at the bicycle shop. <laughs> I he was be giving you wine. Right <laughs> yes. He was giving yes. you wine, food, things of that nature. Talk uh-huh. about playing that role. Talk about and, and I saw on Wikipedia that you had a similar experience on some level. Is that true? Yes, I did. You know, um, you know, I, um, you know, at the time it was just a regular, just another show to me. So I didn't really look at it like, oh, was this this very special episode? I guess that's what they called them. But I didn't know that at the time. I just, you know, I had did a, a few other two parters on the show, but. Um, so I, you know, it was just another show to me. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, we started winning awards for for the show. It really, really helped a lot of young people. And unfortunately for me, uh, a similar experience happened uh, to me uh, with an older gentleman who was considered my 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 brother, like a family friend. And yeah. uh, and thank God, I never got molested to the point to where you know it was so traumatic for me that I couldn't overcome it. But yeah, this man was touching me at night while I was sleeping, and I would just jump up and say, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? You know, and, and I didn't really understand it at the time because I was, I think I must have been about maybe uh, 13 or 14. I'm not sure my age, but somewhere around that time. But uh, it really affected me, uh, and it took me a while to forgive the man. Uh, and, and sad to say, um, I found out that he is a, a sexual uh, offender. I believe that's the word. Uh, right okay. now, and uh, he's, you know, you and I just want to encourage all the parents that may be listening to me uh, to, you know, to make sure that you know where your kids are going, who's around. It could be a family friend, it could be an uncle or a relative. You have to kind of, you know, not just be quick to judge someone, but at the same time, you have to be careful who you just allow your children to be around. Mm-hmm. And you would mm-hmm. be surprised of the people out there. You know, it's sad, but the perverts and the, you know, the men and women out there who are doing things right. to young children, and, and it's damaging. It's, 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 it's life-changing for them and not necessarily in a positive way. So you have to be careful. Keep your eyes open. If you sense something inside, that may be a sign that, you know, something's going on. Watch those sleepovers, and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it, it, you got to be very careful. But, uh, yeah, it's sad. It happens now, every now single day. You- you say you forgave uh, of the person who did this to you. How mm-hmm. hard was that for you? Because most people would have a hard time forgiving. And forgiveness, especially with that particular situation, is a hard thing. Well, it was really hard, uh, especially when uh, this uh, particular person, uh, you know, used my identity. I was going to the Department of Motor Vehicles to uh, renew my license, and they're telling me, that I'm on crack and in jail, and it turned out to be the same man that was, you know, trying to put his hands on me and 
doing all kind of different things. And, and uh, you know, so it was very difficult because, you know, not only was this man, I think, I don't know if he wanted to be me, but he uh, used my name. And, you know, so it, it took me, uh, it, it took the power of God. <laughs> you know, I always got to give credit to God because, you know, um, I wasn't always saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, you know, and uh, <laughs> I want to do some stuff. So, you know, uh, no, I learned to forgive because I don't I don't believe in holding things in. I'm an extremely positive person, and I believe that you reap what you sow. So I think the best thing to do is just forgive and, and you know, just move on with your life. And other times it could be many different reasons uh, why things are allowed to happen in our lives. But, you know, for the most part, um, I can relate to other children, you know, that, right. that may have may be going through similar experiences. We're talking to actor, one of the stars of Different Strokes, Shavar Ross. He played Dudley on that show, the friend of Gary Coleman, who was Arnold in that particular show. At this point, I look at Different Strokes, and it was a very successful show. In your opinion, what made that show so successful? Well, I think it represented uh, America at its best, you know, when it comes to uh, interrelationship, I should say uh, interracial uh, issues, uh, mm-hmm. you know, between African Americans and, and white folks, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that's what made it popular. You had, you know, Dana Plato, the young girl, you had, you know, Todd Bridges as the older brother, Gary was funny and intelligent. Uh, and you had them all blended together in a family, and I think people loved to see that. They needed to see that at the time, you know, and uh, and I think that's, uh, you know, one of the things that made the show very successful. Now, obviously, you, you mentioned God a lot in this particular interview, and come to find out, you, you were a pastor of a church. Are you still a pastor at this point? No, I'm no longer a pastor of a church. I did uh, I founded a church uh, in 1996. It was called the Alive Church. Uh, in Spanish, that's La Iglesia Viva, which means, you know, <laughs> the, the Alive Church or the Church on Fire. And uh, it was a fun time for me. I had went to Bible school for four years, and then I was able to gather people together and and just instill love and encouragement to them, something that I just love doing. Uh, you know, and uh, it was fun. It, it's a lot of work doing that. Um, mm. Unfortunately, there's a lot of politics involved as well. So, uh, you know, so be, knowing that and, you know, and understanding a lot of different other things that happened, uh, it was time for me to spend more, more time with my family. And so I had to kind of like kind of drift away from the, from the church as a pastor. So Now, in terms of that, you know, like you said, you you were a pastor, you were involved in a ministry, you were involved in, in the church. So, in terms of your acting, did that did your, your your conversion, if you will, did that conflict with you being an actor and accepting certain roles? Oh yes, very much so, and that's one of the reasons why you know I didn't work as much in a lot of a lot of televisions and uh, television and movie uh, uh, programs. Um, and and so uh, because of my faith and, and uh, certain things that I, ha- I was having issue with issues with at the time, 
uh, conflicted with my beliefs, and I was having a very difficult time, uh, you know, seeing the difference between, oh, you're just acting, and at the same time, you know, this is something that is your job, so you can get away with doing certain things, and, and I just was having a hard time at the time. I understand it a lot now, but at the time it was difficult for me to see. How can you walk in this, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk, but at the same time you're turning around in this particular role and you're doing this thing? So that right. was something I found very difficult at the time. So you so couldn't that do kept Friday me the... out of getting a lot of roles, you know. Okay, okay. So you couldn't do Friday the 13th again? Well, I never was supposed to do Friday the 13th. You know that today is Friday the 13th, too. You know that, right? Ironically oh, enough. This is my, my lucky day. But, um, no, um, you know, uh, that was something when I was, that was around 1985, so I would have been 14 years old. Right, um, right, right, right. I already had, already had agreed not to do Part 6 because I didn't want to get my head chopped off in and, <laughs> Part 6. So, you know, they changed some things, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. So, now, yeah. at this point, what's going on with Shavar Ross? What, what's going on in your life? What do you have working? Well, this is this is one of the happiest times in my life right now. Um, I'm enjoying the process of doing something that I have been wanting to do for a very long time, which is, which is going back to school. So uh, yeah. I'll be a junior uh, in the fall, you know, next year. I'm excited about that. And uh, I'm a psycho- currently a psychology major. And uh, I have some, some some goals of some things that I'd like to do uh, on that side of things as far as, the, you know, dealing with the, the psychological aspects of working with uh, people and young people, things in their marriages and relationships. So that's something that I, I've always been uh, fond of, just helping people. And I've saw, you know, I've seen the ministry side of things, you know, I understand how that works. Uh, and I still, of course, am a Christian. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, aspects of Christianity that I'm just now discovering that a lot of people are not aware of. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in folks' minds <laughs> that they uh, are not really quite aware of and how it relates to the spiritual aspect of their lives, and that's something I find very fascinating. <laughs> so so yeah. are, are we going to see a Dr. Ross at some point? Well, let's just put it this way. I'll be in this, be in school for the next uh, 25 years, you know, so okay. you will eventually. No, I'm just kidding. Not, not that long, but, um, no, I do have a ways to go. Um, I have right. two more years, you know, for, before I get my bachelor's, and then I'll, I'll continue. God willing, I'll be able to do, you know, just continue. I love school anyway, so. Okay. So you're, and I love to 40... learn about different things. I'm sorry. Right. You're 42 years old at this point. Yes. Do you do do you, do you miss Hollywood? Do you, do you miss that life? Do you miss anything about Hollywood? Are you still dabbling in Hollywood? I live in Hollywood. Well, not necessarily Hollywood, California. I'm just on the outskirts, but okay. I'm still in California. Um, I still see all my friends in the business on like Facebook and Twitter, so I get to, you know, see what's going on, you know. But as far as uh you know, being in front of the camera, going out for auditions. No, I don't miss that. You know, like I was saying before, I, I pretty much got discovered, you know, in the business. So I never really set out to be an actor. But it took me right. many, many, many years to realize that, well, just because you were in this business doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it just because, you know, this is what you've done most of your life. And it took me a, right. a long time to understand that. 
and to overcome that. I see a lot of my friends that are still actually stuck in the business, and, you know, if you look at them, you can say, you know, you can look at them and say, you know, they really probably would be better off doing this, you know, but uh, you have to let everyone find their own way. We're talking to actor, one of the stars of Different Strokes, Shavar Ross. And Shavar, looking at Different Strokes, I'm just looking at your career in general. I mean, you were, in different, you were on Different Strokes, big-time time show in the 80s. You were on Family Matters, a big-time show in the 90s. All in all, man, you've got to be happy with what you accomplished in Hollywood. Talk about that. Well, I was blessed to be able to um, be in the industry working with so many different wonderful actors and talented people. Um, I love I loved that part about it, you know, working with, I mean, Will Smith. I did an episode of Fresh Prince, and I see people like Will Smith now, and a lot of the people, you know, have blown up, you know, even more. And just to be able to say, you know, I worked with Will Smith or, you know, Howard Rollins or, you know, uh, Tom Selleck, you know, people like that. And uh, Oprah Winfrey, I did a movie called Native Son. I played one of her sons okay. in that movie. And the very opening scene of that, you know, um, you'll see me there, you know, with, with this ultra, you know. So a lot of these wonderful people, I think it was just a blessing for me to, to be able to say that, you know. As far as me being big time and blowing up, I'm not sure um, that was what I was supposed to be, you know, in the acting industry. I'm not, I don't think I was supposed to be Denzel. Obviously, I'm not Denzel you know, and, uh, okay. or, you know, on that level. So I appreciate, uh, you know, what I've done, you know, at that age, and you know, so me, uh, I'm thankful. Let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You, you said, I, I know you said you were found essentially by accident, and I know you said that once you, fe- you got this religious transformation, if you will, that you weren't going to take certain roles. So uh, I, I want to ask this. Was it truly meant to be, were you meant to be an actor at the end of the you know, day? That's, that's a very, very good question, Paul. I haven't had anyone uh, ask me that, and I want to um, just commend you on that because that that's actually a very heavy question. Um, I do believe that all things happen uh, for a reason. Um, so, And I also believe that there's a season and a time for everything. So when you say, oh, was it ever meant for you to be an actor, that would not Really, I can't really comprehend that because I was an actor. I was doing it. Now, because there are seasons for everyone, whether I was supposed to do it uh, for the rest of my life, obviously not. So that that was my point in saying that, you know, just because you might be doing something for 20 years doesn't mean at the end of your life you're going to be doing that. And I want to encourage people that's listening to me that it's okay to change. A lot of people are still stuck in the situations they're in because they're afraid to change or they don't know that they can change. It's okay if you change your career, if you go back to school. You know, it's okay, you know, and and I don't even know why I'm saying this, but it's okay if you go back to that person if you know that you love him or her, especially if there's nobody beating you down and nothing like that. Don't let your ego stop you from having the relationship that is meant for you to have. Because sometimes you can you can miss something and, and, and not realize what you're missing, you know, all because of your ego or you think you might want something better, you know. Um, you know, all that good is not gold. So sometimes you know he might be bald-headed or what have you, but you might have to settle for him, 
you know, but if he loves okay. you, he's giving you flowers. I got to I, I, I I, I call time yeah. out on something. You said bald head. I am bald. <laughs> I am a bald man. Um, you know, I, I kind of think bald is sexy, but I mean, okay. Hey, you know, that was what I was going to say. Maybe that's something, you know, that they, they, they um, you know, hey, it's, that could be sexy to someone else, too, you know. Uh, right. You right. know, so so it's all, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So. At the end so of I didn't mean yeah. it in a, in a negative way, but my point is that, you know, in, our, in society, you know, how we look at people. Michael uh, Jordan's bald-headed, so, uh, right. and he's handsome. So, you know, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I get to talking, Paul. Please forgive me. I'm known to go off and just start talking. But, I, oh, I love to encourage people. Now, real mm-hmm. quickly, you are on Twitter. You do have a website. Where can fans connect with Shavar Ross? Uh, I, you know, I used to blog a lot. I don't blog as much. I do have my own website, which is ShavarRoss.com. I really just uh, blogged a lot about things that were going on in the entertainment industry. But since I've been in school, I haven't really had time to do as much of it. Um, and I also, uh, you know, am the founder of several other websites. One of them is blackdensbian.com, um, and that's a, a site uh, that basically gives out uh, entertainment news. Um, okay. But, yeah, I'm on Twitter. I just recently uh, un- unprotected my site because, you know, sometimes I feel like I may be saying things that, you know, maybe it might not be appropriate. And when I say it's not appropriate, I'm not talking about using vulgarity or anything like that. But, you know, sometimes I, I feel um, that I would like to share a lot of stuff that, that's going on with me from a spiritual perspective, you okay. know. And, I, and uh, so sometimes I protect it and sometimes I unprotect it. So, but I'm on Twitter and Facebook. All right. Mm-hmm. And at this point you are unprotected. <laughs> yes, um, that's funny. Um, um, yes, yes, I'm. I'm uh, <laughs> I feel funny saying unprotected for some reason. Maybe I should have brought that up. But no, they can find me on Twitter. Yes, Shabar, uh, it was a pleasure <laughs> talking to you, man. We wish you yes. nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Uh-huh. I messed up. Your, I, I butchered your name earlier in the show. I said shape. <laughs> Shaver, it was, it is Shavar, <laughs> my bad. But uh, we wish uh-huh. you nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's do this again. And may I say something, one more thing, please? Go ahead. Okay, oh, I want to say Quickly. All, to all my friends and family, whoever I know on Facebook and Twitter who may be listening, I just want to say I love you. God bless you. Thank you for supporting me over all of these years. Um, and if there's anything that you need from me, um, just email me, you know, I'm very, I'm a very down to earth person. So um, if you need help with prayer or someone to talk to, if you're going through suicide, you know whatever it is, um, let me know and um, and we can get through it together. So thank you so much, Paul, for allowing me to be on your show. Take care. Pleasure. All right, George. Okay. Bye bye. Shavar Ross, one of the stars of Different Strokes. He played Dudley on Different Strokes, the friend of Arnold Jackson, who was. Gary Coleman, the late great Gary Coleman. I want to thank uh, Brad Hopkins for listening, for uh, joining us on the show. Also, want to thank Shavar Ross of Different Strokes for joining us on the show. You can listen to this show and other shows at BlogTalkRadio.com/slash pgant, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at Go For It Gant, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Also, hit us up on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash user/slash 
go for it again. For everybody here, go for it. We hope you have a great day. We hope you have a great night. We hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.